two, one. Welcome to the show, In Your Face, Season 2, Episode 8. This is going to be one of the worst shows we've ever had. It's an all-Baltimore <laughs> show. Um, and on this show is the worst person on Twitter. Mr. Ty Zanders himself has joined us. I'm kidding. Uh, he's a good friend of both Andy and I's, and one of the most knowledgeable guys in the world of lacrosse on recruits, um, he would be considered the Todd McShay. I'm going here instead of say, what's, what's the other Baltimore Calvert Hall guy's name? I forget him. Mel Kuyper, right? I would put Ty on the Todd McShay uh, line because I like Todd. I used to actually kind of almost share an office with Todd up in New England. Not sure where he is now, but it was weird because all the 3D lacrosse guys were like, yeah, Todd McShay's uh, office is like right around the corner. <laughs> so, uh, Ty Sanders. He's Ty McSanders. Ty McSanders. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ty, uh, the last couple of days, Ty Zanders, by the way, is the founder of RecruitingRundown.com. Uh, so check it out when you get the chance. But Ty just recently came out with the top 100 2016 recruits, which you should all know right now are current freshmen in college. Ty, talk to us a little bit about how you've generated this list, um, the information you've gathered, and certainly, um, as we've noticed a lot of your guys are starting to show up even early in twenty in the, in the Division One season, twenty seventeen. Yeah, so I, I did it a little bit differently this year, um, just with some stuff going on. You know, I kind of emphasized the, the underclassmen first, and then you know, kind of wanted to come out with this list in January or February. And uh, you know, of course, it, it had to be the, the night before Division One lacrosse kicked off on on ESPNU. Um, but you know, it, it was really made a little bit easier. Now that you had the U19 games, um, they, they kind of gave you a really good measuring stick for how these kids would fare uh, at the collegiate level. So uh, I go back in and I look at as much tape as I possibly can, uh, you know, whether it's from the Baltimore area or, or, you know, Long Island, New Jersey, wherever, whatever I get my hands on. Uh, and then talk to some college coaches, you know, a ton of them mostly in, in August and September and, and kind of keep up with them a little bit, you know, throughout the fall. Um, I didn't really get to uh, cheat, I guess, to be called and catch any scrimmages or any of that or any film in that sense. But uh, just kind of go back and people kind of don't realize that it's not really the stats or accomplishments uh, that, that really matter when it comes to these kids. I think it's just you want to project how they'll fare, you know, all, all four years. You know, it's not instant impact. It's not, you know, who was first team all this in high school. I think as you guys both know, coaching so much college across in the past uh, is that it's all a matter of, of the right fit. I think, you know, a kid may have a better career if he's a highly ranked recruit coming out of, say, Colgate or Bucknell or Loyola uh, or even Ivy League um, or, or Towson, wherever, rather than, uh, say, Hopkins or Carolina or Notre Dame, where you're getting tons and tons of so-called blue-chip recruits so it's just a matter of kind of finding the right formula and, and you know, considering all the variables um, because it's, it's a, definitely a thankless task and a tough task because there's just so much talent, so much more talent now than there was, you know, five, ten years ago. Um, so it's, it's gotten difficult each year, uh, more difficult each year. And, and there are about pretty much five guys this year that, that I've considered for that number one spot. Um, so it was, it was tough, but I, I feel pretty strongly about how, how strong this class is. And it's, it's pretty deep, especially in offense. So Ty, just a, a quick question regarding this list. I, I, you know, when you put this together, this is based on you ranking them in anticipation of the impact that they will make on game day for these respective teams that they play for, right? Is that, is that kind Correct. of in a nutshell, the way that you put them together? Absolutely. Uh, yep. Okay, great. Obviously, you know, you can't predict injuries and hopefully none of these kids have injuries, but uh, okay. So it's not necessarily their body of work as high school players, as much as it is looking at their athleticism, their skill set, their game IQ, their respective intangibles of competitive spirit and hardworking, being mentally tough, coachable, all that stuff, all factors into how you how you rank these guys, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the, the tough part is just kind of uh, predicting some of those intangibles and, you know, and, and kind of what I call variables uh, there. Uh, I, I feel, I feel that maybe I've done a pretty good job over the past couple of years kind of predicting uh, and anybody who knows the game, even evaluate the athletic talent can kind of predict who will be uh, the best players, the next level. If you watch enough high school across the recruiting circuit. Um, and that's one of the things that I kind of mentioned is that uh, I, I know this class so well because I've, I've been able to watch them and, um, right. You know, the, the tough part is kind of figuring out, um, you know, which you can't really predict is, you know, who will maybe rest on their laurels, you know, who, who will maybe get bogged down in the depth chart, uh, you know, who, who won't vibe well with the coaching staff, blah, blah, blah. There's so right. many variables that kind of go into uh, measuring a player's success in, in college because uh, there, it's, just, it's just a matter of the right fit. And that's why, you know, I, I was looking back to the class of 2012, which was, one of the first classes I ranked when I was inside lacrosse. And, and out of that top 100, I think it was between 15 and 20 that either transferred or quit lacrosse entirely, you know? So wow. it, it, it's, a, it's a really high number, um, and it, it's, it's not shocking. I think it'll probably even get higher as the years go on, just, just with how early these kids commit. Because uh, many of these players were committing as, as freshmen, sophomores, the ones that are in this list. Uh, so you really don't know what the best fit will, will be. And many will wind up in other college rosters um, or maybe have injuries or hopefully not, you know, off the field uh, issues. But uh, so much goes into it and you really uh, you really don't know. I mean, there have been plenty of, of top 10 players that haven't panned out for whatever reason. Um, I'm hoping we don't have a ton of those. So there's no egg in my face. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's definitely something that I enjoy. Um, and it was kind of just fun to be able to attend the, the Hopkins Navy game, which we'll get into eventually, uh, attend that and kind of say, oh, you know, oh, he's looking pretty good, that number 11 recruit um, and, and all that. So it's, it's fun watching the college season and kind of seeing, um, you know, the results and, and you know, going forward in, in that sense and kind of measuring how these players will do. How did so you tie uh, – oh, go ahead. Go ahead, AJ. All right, quick question, and I'll let you go. You know, how do you uh, prioritize ranking, say, a feed-first ex-attackman versus a catch-and-finish scoring attackman? How do you prioritize one versus the other? I mean, for me, I, I, you know, I always hold somebody that, you know, can initiate the play. I would rank somebody like Rob Pinnell as, you know, sort of a uh, dodge and feed or dodge and score attackman ahead of somebody that is a catch and finish attackman, just because I think that's a uh, harder skill set to find. Did you have criteria that you would use? when trying to decide the difference between, say, a Jared Bernhardt that you have at one as clearly a, you know, he's clearly a playmaker type guy. And I'll just go with, say, you know, Mac O'Keefe, who may be more of a catch and score type guy without knowing his game too well, but certainly looking at his seven goals first game against RMU, um, you know, to, to me, what Jared Bernhardt does is harder to find in the recruiting process and a harder transition from high school to college than it is to be somebody that goes from catch and finishing in high school to catch and finishing in college. Did you, how did you, how did you, how did you compare those two as you were figuring out who to rank one and, and who to rank behind that guy? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. I think, you know, I, I as you said, and I agree 100%, it, it's definitely harder to find uh, the the player that, that creates offense, you know, off the feet or off the dodge than, than just a, a kid who will, you know, catch and score, you know, like a, a say, Matt O'Keefe. Um, you know, there are plenty of players like that. But it, it feels to me like there are just, there are so many feet attackmen or finishing attackmen out there. And, and I want, I want, someone that can really 
uh, create their own offense. You know, you look at, at Jeff Keith, I think that people will be blown away uh, watching Cornell over the next four years because a player like that, uh, think about it. I mean, Canadians are, are, are kind of pegged as that, uh, that finishing type, and, and he is uh, just the opposite in that, in that he can right. kind of do both. And, and those are the players you kind of want to prioritize a little bit because, it, it, in a sense, they kind of mean more to their team, you know, their team's success. Uh, I think, as you both know, you know, a player, uh, there's so much value placed in a player that makes the guys around him better. And, and those uh, those feeding attackmen, those, those do-it-all attackmen, dodging attackmen, um, you know, tend to make the guys around them better and help their team more than, stay uh, a finishing attackman. Who, yeah, you know, they're pumping a lot of goals and, and they're, uh, they're huge. Their shot percentage is high. They're great off ball. Uh, it could be pretty pivotal on, on extra man, but uh, there's certainly more value, um, you know, placed on the Michael Krauses and, and, uh, and Michael Sowers and, and Jeff Keith of the world um, at, at attack. Uh, but plenty of players that I think, um, you know, if I had to guess, if we're looking ahead and, and maybe thinking about, you know, inside lacrosse's top 25 freshman polls. Um, they put together, you know, throughout the year. Uh, that's a lot of finishing attackmen on there. You know, guys that kind of um, get in there because they can finish well. A lot of Canadians, you know, you think of uh, the the kid at Rutgers last year. You know, Adam Harlan Bees. You know, he was a finishing attackman and and was one of the best freshmen in the country. Um, you know, but there are definitely uh, a lot of kids like that. You know, that that can just bury the rock, but. Uh, uh, to kind of reiterate for the millionth time, you know, definitely more value placed on, on the kid that can make the kids around him better. So, uh, Ty, you know, we're, we've only seen about, uh, I'd say, 10 or 11 teams play so far. And some of the guys that we've seen a lot of, even just in the first games of the, of the season, we've seen guys like, uh, let's go through Jack Ray Pine, Riley Walsh, Gerard Arstieri, uh Mac O'Keefe, um, we've seen others on your list. Are you already regretting whether putting them too high or too low uh, on your list based on their performances, either in the first week of the season? Um, you know, Mac O'Keefe goes out there and scores uh, seven goals in his first opener. Obviously, I don't think he's going to average seven goals for the rest of his career. Uh, but then you've got guys that aren't quite making an impact yet. And you're going to have that in your top 50. That's, of course, going to happen. Uh, it always depends on the position he plays and the depth in front of him, of course. Uh, but even in the first week, do you always get, do you get this sense of like, oh, crap, I should have dropped him or I should have made him higher? Or, uh, and do you, make, do you already have an example of that? so far uh well you know i i have much bigger regrets in my life than uh you know stuff like that <laughs> but uh you know i think just the the interesting part about and i've never done this before you know posting a list um you know i wanted to get it out a week ago but went on vacation but uh posting a list so close or pretty much right on top of the start of college across i knew that that you know this list would be fresher in people's brains um, it's certainly fresher in, in, in my uh, cluttered head. Uh, but, you know, there's there really no regrets. I think it, it, it's, it's such a wait-and-see approach. Um, and, you know, it, it's just so difficult, no matter uh, how touted you are, how, uh, you know, what league you played in, you how, how battle, you know, tested you were in high school. Uh, it, it's just you kind of have to, you know, think about it and say, look, these kids have four years. You know, it's um, – to throw in the, the the cliche, you know, it's it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You know, you, you, these kids have four years to kind of um, uh, to to kind of prove their worth, and, and I feel I feel pretty confident in, in a lot of these players that are kind of making that impact. And and this weekend, the next weekend, we'll we'll see uh, you know plenty of those kids. But uh, no, no, no regrets on on my end uh, because I I feel that that all these kids. Um, or hopefully the overwhelming majority of, of the top 20 will, will make an impact. I mean, it was, it was fun to watch uh, Jack Grapine. You know, I, I, it, was, it was fun to watch Joey Manown. Um, I'm pumped to watch Ryan McNulty and uh, Justin Anderson has been going off. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I, I love this group, and I can't say that enough about the class of 2016. You kind of looked at it a couple of years ago and, and uh, you know, knew that this would be a pretty impactful class, you know, down the road. Um, but, you know, it, it's 
like I said, it's just it's tough to make an impact as a freshman. There's still plenty of kids that, um, you know, yeah, I was worried about last year. Uh, the class of twenty, you know, the uh, class of 2015, they weren't playing a whole lot, but but then you talk to some different college coaches now, and and they're all starting to really break through and 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 find their confidence because it's <laughs> it's just it's hard, you know, to go from being a college right. to be a high school player, um, especially at, at MIDI. Um, and, and then you know, going and you know throwing out to the wolves in, in Division One, you know, just a few months later, it it is hard. Yeah. Well, speaking that's of toughest, uh, that's the toughest transformation in that for sure, definitely going from high school midfield to college midfield, uh, yep. you're just going against men, and if you aren't a man yet, you struggle. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know. no, it's 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 tough, and that that's why you see uh, such a huge jump from that freshman to to sophomore season. You know, a uh, uh, my roommate's actually a, a, a volunteer assistant in the area and, and played, uh, you know, high division one lacrosse. And he was talking about, you know, how you come in from high school and, and kind of all the freshmen, they're all alpha males. They're used to being one of the top, you know, one or two or three players in their, their high school team, if not the whole area. And then like that first practice is just a wake up call, um, you know, as a, as a midfielder, because whether it's a long stick or a short stick, I mean, everybody is just a beast. Um, yeah. everybody's a beast and, and it's, it's tough to make that jump, but, uh, believe it or not, a lot of those kids do it. Yep. So speaking of, uh, Jack Raypine, let's, uh, transition right into what happened last night. Uh, Hopkins beats Navy 15, 15 to eight. You got to figure Hopkins offense is back. Their defense holding Navy to eight goals looks good. But before we get into the actual rundown of the game, the attendance in Baltimore was 1,400 people. Uh, collectively, do you guys – are you guys worried about that attendance? It was like, what was it? Seven, it says here in the weather report in the box score, mostly sunny, 72 degrees, dash, perfect, with an exclamation uh, mark. But only 1,400 people showed up. Uh, are you disappointed by those attendance numbers? I, I was. You know, I mean, I, I got there. I was so fired up for that game, like the uh, lacrosse nerd I am. And I got there an, an hour before, you know, and, uh, you know, just to kind of soak it all in and, and talk to some guys and uh, enjoy the weather. And, and it's unfortunate there really weren't as many people there as uh, as there should have been because it, it was it was fun. It was a great game. And, uh, you know, as I said, great weather. Um, I'm sure plenty of people were watching on TV. At 5 o'clock time slot, not to make excuses, that's a tough one. You know, it's it, – uh, it's hard for a lot of people to get out of work, um, you know, at, at this time of the year. Um, so it was, it was hard. I think there, there wasn't really the same attendance um, that, that you would see from the, the Hopkins uh, students, I'm sure, because a, a lot of them just didn't realize that it's lacrosse season. You know, it's, it's February right. 7th last night. And uh, I'm, I'm sure like, you know, isn't this a, a spring sport? Isn't this March? Um, but you know, any, everybody in attendance, I think was kind of pinching themselves, uh, because of the weather and, and how pleasant it was outside that you could kind of, you know, almost watch in, in short sleeps in, in February. So, um, but it, it was, it was a, a nice night in, in Baltimore. Um, I believe that Hopkins is the only midweek game. Um, but there's, there's really no reason why there shouldn't be, you know, at least 2,500 to 3,000, you know, people in the stands. Um, and, and I'm I'm not totally sure why. Well, you know what? I will say that, like you referenced earlier, at five o'clock. I think if the game's at seven o'clock, I think you get more people. Um, no doubt. You know, the the other thing is, is you got you got an ESPNU. So even guys that get home at you know five thirty six o'clock, they may say, you know what? I'd love to rush over there, but I'm only going to get there for the second half due to work or whatever. And it's on TV. I'll just watch it on TV. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think that that may be something that if the game's at seven, because I believe last year the game was at seven when it was played. At, it was a later game, I think. I think Correct. it was a seven o'clock game. And, and that, I believe, was uh, very well attended. If I'm, if, did you go to that game last year, Ty? I, it I was did. cold. It was cold, but they had, I think it was like, what, 20,000 or 15,000 people viewing on Patriot League Network. Remember that game? That was what that yep. was the big stat of that game was the the number of views on the stream. Got it. 
Got it. Yeah, it was it was freezing. I mean that that is just that sums up the weather in the area. You really never know what you're going to get. Last year, tough winter, and and this year um, hasn't been a whole lot. But I, I think you know it'll kind of be interesting to see this year uh, how much the trend that is. I think that um, attendance kind of goes down on multiple fronts, um, depending on the sport, because the the TV coverage is is just so strong. Um, I mean, if if I weren't just a, a 15 minute, um, you know. 15 minutes from uh, from from Hopkins, I'd probably sit in my hindquarters, you know, with, with the beverage and, and watch that game and listen to Clark and, and Quint, um, you know, because you get a lot out of it that way. But there's really nothing like you know attending a game live, you know. So yeah. second question here is, what did you think about Quint's remark about tulips? <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll throw that to uh, to AT. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Quint to make a appearance on Vanderpump Rules. I think he would slide in perfectly with Tom <laughs> Sandoval and Tom Schwartz. Uh, you know that was that was brilliant. I mean, he really does planting tulips in his colors. backyard. <laughs> Here's another part. There was no play-by-play last night. There was no play-by-play no play last by play. night. There was no play-by-play guy. Like I like I like, like listening to Clark crush Anish Shroff regarding his opinionated movie, uh, you know, angle, and then and I then Anish. That. Oh, it was good. It was really good. I miss that. I miss <laughs> that. But here's the deal: Joel Tinney is back. Patrick Fraser with three goals. Wilkins Esmiki with three goals. Uh, Navy started strong. In fact, we're up three nothing after the first quarter. Uh, talk to me, Ty, about where you see as since you start live, um, and given the 15 goals that uh, Hopkins put up, they put up five in the second, six in the third, and of course four in the fourth. None in the first. Uh, looks like the beast was awakened. Uh, they played a ton of players on the offensive end. Talk to me a little bit about what your first hand perspective was on uh, Hopkins' offense? Uh, I was just really impressed. You know, keep it simple. I think, uh, like you said, you know, they played 15 guys on offense in the first half. Um, and and that is such a good sign um, for for how well they recruited, for how well they developed talent, their depth. Um, and, and maybe they're kind of doing that to, to have some fresh legs, you know, on, on, on game one. Uh, they, they've been bitten by the injury bug a little bit. So to kind of throw a bunch of guys out there and not rely too much on, uh, on the big guns is, is a good sign. But I was really impressed. And I think, you know, as everyone I'm sure is saying, uh, there's no doubt that the turning point was that hidden ball trick. I mean, that, that was really, um, you know, that, that helped Hopkins just take off and dominate after that. Um, but, but overall, I, I was really impressed with the offense and, um, you know, of course it's easy to talk about how, how, how strong the, the O was, but, uh, believe it or not, the, the defense has been, uh, an issue for Hopkins the, the last couple of years as a surprise, you know, cause they've always had some great defensemen. Of course you have, you know, arguably the best defenseman of all time, you know, at the helm and Dave Petromala, but, uh, I, I was really, um, impressed with, with Nick Fields. I thought that he was a monster. Um, you know, and then he was just, he was putting pressure on, on guys all over and, and forcing turnovers. And you had, you know, Ray Pine and, and fellow freshman Owen Colwell, who played on the, the man down. Um, and, and Logan made the saves he needed to make. Um, it was just top to bottom, a really strong team effort against a really well coached team in, in Navy. And honestly, one of the more athletic teams I've ever seen. I mean, they, they have so much athleticism, even kids I've never heard of um, that are just breaking it through in the roster. Um, and that's a tough team to match up with and a tough defense that, that didn't fare so well. But um, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I really feel like just based off what I saw last night, what we saw last night, Hopkins had the makings of a Final Four team. Um, and I thought they were kind of underranked, um, you know, by inside lacrosse, I want to say number 11 to start. They looked like a top five team last night. Um, and they'll have some tests the next few weeks. Uh, of course, Loyola comes up the street in two weeks to, to test them. But I, I was really impressed with, with what Hopkins brought to the table, how many bodies they ran, 
Um, and you know it's just a different team when Joel Tinney's out there. I mean, he provides such a big spark, and we'll talk about that. Um, but God, is that kid fun to watch? He is, man. He's he's the difference for that team. You know, I, I obviously he was out last season. He played as freshman. I can't get over the energy that he brings and instant offense. I mean, I think he finished the game, I believe, three and two, and it seemed like anytime he touched the ball, it seemed like they scored somehow. Um, he just he, he he makes all the simple plays, but he also makes a bunch of jaw dropping plays look very very easy, almost Casey Palace, you know, look yeah. really easy, and. Uh, you know, very matter of fact. And I just think he he's a difference for a team that offensively has struggled, I think, at times. Um, you know, he seems to be the difference and able to get this team to 13 goals. It's hard to, hard to think that they're going to play a team and they're going to hold them, you know, under 10 goals, let alone under 12 or 13 goals with Joel Tinney felt, you know, healthy. He's just really, really really impressive to watch. And, and it wasn't like he was just, I mean, you look at the stat sheet and you, and you watch the game and it was, we talked about how many bodies Hopkins ran, um, but it's as strong as Penny was and a couple of guys out there, like they weren't relying too much on any one guy. I mean, I don't think, I don't think anybody in that team had more than, you know, four or five shots. I mean, they were spreading the rock a little bit. And, uh, you know, what struck me is that I, I don't think Shaq Stanwyck had a shot until his goal in the third or fourth quarter. Um, I just, you're, I think right. Jack, you're right. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 he had two goals on aggressive. two shots. Yeah. And, and Kenny, I think, uh, you know, had, had three goals on five shots. Um, so, you know, they, they weren't relying too much on any one guy, you know, just Muke and, and Stanwyck, you know, the veterans that offense found the game come to them. Um, and, and that was, you know, just as, as pivotal of a factor as as Tenney's, you know, five point performance. And then you have, you know, the the elder statesman, you know, John Crowley, who I think isn't too far away from uh beating Kimmel and, and Rabel's, you know, record for, for games played at Hopkins. Um, you know, Crowley was excellent as well, you know, you know, playing a, a couple of different roles, you know, starting to attack and then, you know, playing MIDI. Um, as we said, there's just there's so much depth at, at midfield. Um, that it'll be it'll be fun to watch, you know, going forward, you know, if they continue to do that. Um, but uh, man, this this offense can 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 run, you know. They are they're very talented, and uh, it'll be fun to watch going forward. No doubt. So now let's take a break real quick, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the games coming up this weekend. We've got a big one in Loyola UVA, uh, but meanwhile, maximize your comfort. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, removable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. Welcome back to the show. Big one, uh, Navy Maryland coming up this weekend. Obviously, we just talked about Navy Hopkins, but talk to me, AT, I'm going to throw this to you. Talk to me a little bit about what you saw from Navy uh, last night in terms of their outlook going into the 2017 season, getting a sneak preview of what they look like against Hopkins. You know, I, I came back and I had a clinic I had to do last night and whooped my tool and then I got back and I had you know, uh, DVR the game. And so I started to watch it. And of course I went public on Twitter going with JHU laying two and a half. And I took the over at 21.5 and about, uh, you know, eight minutes into the game or whatever it was, it was three zip Navy. And I was packed with regret, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they maybe just looked like they were in control. You know, Brady Dove was controlling the face-offs. Uh, the wing play he was getting out of Matt Reese was phenomenal. He had some great GBs. Um, you know, they seemed like they had a plan on offense. You know, they would initiate above the goal, throw it down the side, throw it back, and then reinitiate, you know, with the attack. And it just seemed like they 
were in control of the game. They had three great saves right in a row by Ryan Kern, the first freshman start. Um, you know, they're in 20 years, I think, Quinn had said since Mickey Jarbo. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I just felt like Navy was in control of the game. But then once Hopkins got the ball, and in particular once Joel Kinney got the ball, everything changed. And I'm not so positive that was a negative Navy as much as it was Hopkins just having too much for them. Um, you know, essentially after a 3-0 lead, they get the 15-5. to Hopkins ends up winning the game 15-8. to But you look at Navy's offense. They took eight goals. They shoot 28%. They went two for three on man up, which is obviously very good. But I think they struggled to replace the scoring of Casey Reese, and that's something that we all were speculating on coming into the season. Um, you know, a couple of big bombs by, you know, Jack Ray, Ryan Wade played well as their playmaker, but they're going to have to find more offense. I mean, eight, eight goals is just not going to get it done. And I worry about them playing a team like Maryland, whose defense is going to be better than Hopkins' defense. And their face-off group with their wings is better than Hopkins. So I think Brady Duff's is going to struggle in this game against Maryland. I think, I think you know, well, you won, what, 11 out of 20 in this game, and they won a little over 50% for the game. I, I think that Navy's going to get beat in this area. I think they're going to get beat 60% in this area. Um, and I don't think this is a good matchup for Navy at all. Um, I just, I just... I don't think they have enough offense. I think they're going to lose the faceoffs and defensively while they play with, you know, more balls than anybody on the defensive end. I just think they're going to get worn down from having to play defense three quarters of this game. And I just don't think it sets, sets up well for Navy, even though they're playing at home. Um, you know, Ryan Kern, again, he goes, <laughs> he goes from Hopkins to Maryland. I mean, right into it. The kid played really, really well. But look at some of those shots that Hopkins hit. Uh, you know, they hit some serious bombs to beat him. And uh, I, I just I think they're going to unfortunately be in for an 0-2 start after this game on Saturday. Uh, Ryan Kern was in your top 50 tie. Uh, how are you feeling about Navy and then maybe how they match up against Maryland? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I feel that the Navy will, will – definitely be a contender in the Patriot League, but I think it'll take them some time. I think they're, you know, as we discussed, I think they're kind of figuring out their offensive identity um, and, you know, figuring out how to, you know, what to do on Ryan Kern. Um, you know, I mean, like we said, I think he was facing some shots that, uh, he, he, I mean, no one had a chance saving. I mean, those were some, some absolute rockets. Um, and, uh, you know, you almost felt bad for him in a sense because, He's getting thrown out to the wolves, but but otherwise I thought he was he was strong. You know, I, I didn't once regret putting him at my number you know number three spot at the goalie position. Um, but you know overall I, I think uh, it, it, you could tell it's just it just like Hopkins is a different offense with Joel Tinney. I think Navy is a, a very different offense without Casey Reese. And Great. you see you see that more in, in hindsight, kind of looking back, you see just how crucial he was to their success last year as a young guy. Um, and then you watched last night, you know, just watching that live. Um, it, it really felt like there were a lot of those guys that were, were getting caught up in, in um, you know, in traffic and turning the ball in traffic, getting caught by a trail check or whatever it is. They just looked overwhelmed. And, and the Hopkins defense did a phenomenal job kind of swarming to uh, the big man, Jack Ray, um, you know, who – who didn't have his best game, but I, I think, you know, still put up two and one on, on seven shots. Um, but they kind of just got to figure out, you know, a, a multitude of roles, you know, there. I mean, Grayson Terrain um, was outstanding as a freshman, but um, was was very underwhelming, you know, last night. And the Pac-12 player that uh, I'm sure, you know, could have a, a, a great year. But um, definitely some, some growing pains. And um, I wouldn't say identity crisis, but – uh, they've got to figure themselves out and, and, and kind of uh, in a hurry because they're playing a, a very, very, um, you know, strong Maryland team. Um, and I think Navy always has a great home field advantage. So it'll be interesting to see how many people show up in Annapolis and, and what kind of support they get and how they play at home. 
um, after a wake-up call last night at Hopkins. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just intrigued to kind of see the roles of Ryan Wade and, and Terrain and, and some younger guys. But uh, they have the personnel, you know, I think, between the lines and, and uh, you know, on their back line on defense. To, to me, I, to uh, me, and, and RD, I know you'll go you. real quick, but uh, sorry to interrupt. But, you know, to me, the answer for Maryland here is you've got to get Grayson Terrain 10 dodges a game. Yeah. Um, you, you just have to because, and Quint and Clark did a great job. You know, they were alluding to the fact that, you know, when Grayson Terrain was dodging, he had a great invert goal that he stuck around the right side high on the goalie. Um, you know, but to, but to telegraph his dodges the way that they do, it just undermines his ability to beat people quickly and allows defenses to defend him with six guys. Um, you know, and if they are able to get his dodges more off quick ball movement and less dragging them to a spot and going, you know, all he's got to do is beat his guy, which he's going to do every time, regardless of who's covering him. Okay. And a lot of times he's quick and slick enough to beat the slide as well and to get really deep inside the other team's defense and score goals. I just, I think we've got to dodge him all the time, particularly when, you know, the other guys are, are, are not getting eight goals. It's just not going to get it done. And, um, you know, I just feel like agree with you, Casey Reese, you know, he was winning his matchup for goals, no matter which poll was covering him last year. And I think that with him gone, they're going to have trouble creating consistent slides from their opponent's defense unless they're dodging Grayson Terrain. You just don't power dodge in Division One lacrosse and have a ton of success the way that you will if you do quick slick dodges because the defenses are too quick to slide. It's too hard to get away from the double teams. And it just doesn't translate as well. You know, if you're going to re-dodge with the power guy and he's only has to beat one guy to score, great. But to make the power dodge the first dodge, I think you're going to struggle offensively over the course of the season that way. I, I looked, I was fortunate enough to be able to watch Maryland play Penn uh, this past uh, weekend. Uh, Maryland does the old scrimmage jersey switch. Uh, which is which I is good. <laughs> it's uh, it's right. fascinating. Which one's Matt Rambo? Which one's Matt Rambo? <laughs> well, you can tell who Matt Rambo was, and the you can certainly one. tell who Key Heacock was. Um, but uh, you know what? It's good as it's like you couldn't really tell uh, who was who in terms of the newcomers, and it's really smart uh, that he does it. But I can tell you this: Maryland has depth. Uh, they have depth in between the lines. Not that they've never had that before. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the Maryland Terps here. Um, you know, they've always had depth. But I'm talking like a depth similar to what you saw at Hopkins. And I have a feeling you're going to see a lot of midfielders running through the box uh, come Saturday against Navy. Um, but I also think that, you know, their attack is strong. Look, Matt Rambo is Matt Rambo. Um, and he, he plays like it every single time. Every time he touches the ball on the offensive end, regardless if he's wearing the number one jersey or in the case of the scrimmage, he was wearing the number eight jersey um, or seven. I don't even remember. It doesn't care. Every time he gets the ball, it's like, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. Or if you're a fan, it's, oh, my God, he's going to score. Oh, my God, he's going to score. Every single time. Um, it's interesting, too, that, you know, Maryland over the last few years have been very, very conservative um, on their offensive possessions. It seems as though they might let Matt Rambo do his thing, much like we saw back in 2010, 11, and 12, or wherever that was, where Rob Pinnell would control the first 15 to 20 seconds of every single possession. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case going into the 2017 season, uh, it's going to be real exciting to watch Matt Rambo. He might end up with 150 points. Uh, <laughs> in, in terms of the defense, I mean, he has the ability to do it. It's phenomenal. Um, but in terms of the defense, uh, again, uh, you know, looking from, um, you know, just a fan's perspective of that scrimmage, you're looking at a situation where 
Maryland looks strong on the defensive end. They've got athletes, uh, but I think they might have some questions in goal. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Morris is, is a formidable goalie, uh, but certainly not Bernlar, right? Not many teams have that, um, and that's going to be a huge loss for Maryland going into this season. But I think it's a nice matchup for Maryland in the beginning of the season against Navy. Uh, but here's the deal. If Navy starts out as fast as they did against Hopkins and they can play as tough as they did in the beginning of the, uh, of the game uh, and continue that, they have a chance. Uh, Navy is not exactly, I think that Navy ran into a juggernaut this weekend. I think much like what Ty just said, they're a final four potential team if they continue the streak. And so I don't think you can look at Navy as a team that's like, well, I think they might be struggling. I don't really necessarily know that. Yes. No, no doubt. I, 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 this is a huge, huge loss, but I think that going into this weekend, I think Navy's got a great, a, a decent shot at putting up a good game against a very strong Maryland opponent. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this, this, this is a team that, that will probably, you know, they'll they'll sit down the next couple of days, look at the film, and kind of uh, look at their weaknesses a little bit. And uh, will probably play much better lacrosse than they did last night. I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's just, it's it's too strong of a roster and a coaching staff um, just to, to roll over, you know, uh, against Maryland. Um, you know, it's especially at home. You know, you know they'll be, play, be playing some inspired ball. Um, they've got to figure some things out, but I agree. I think this is a team that has a lot of talent, um, and, and will be a contender for the final four. And it won't, this won't change that. But, um, like you said, I mean, Maryland is, is pretty, pretty loaded. Um, and, and all things I've heard, uh, just without watching Maryland is, is that, you know, so far, uh, in scrimmages is that Rambo is, uh, you know, is, is just a beast. It's not just, it's not just the, the shooting. Um, you know, I was talking to a coach who was saying he was just blown away at, at how how much more dynamic he is in comparison to, to last year, um, just with getting attention and, and then, you know, throwing a skip pass. I mean, his vision is apparently off the charts, um, you know, so I'm, I'm really intrigued to kind of see that and, and how that works uh, within this offense, because we know they lost, um, they lost a whole lot the last couple of years at the midfield position. Um, and this is a very senior-laden uh, attack unit uh, to kind of see how his his role morphs a little bit and how he takes on you know more. And I think I would agree that he probably will have the ball in his stick a bit more than he did in the past, just what they lost and and how much uh, better he is uh, than than last year. From what I've heard. So uh, Hopkins plays UMBC this next weekend, uh, this coming weekend. Probably not much to talk too much about that game in itself. UMBC coming off a loss, 17 to six loss against UNC. Uh, Max Maxwell is getting the job done, but I think that there are a lot of parts to UMBC uh, that needs to improve over the season. And we all know that Ryan Moran will get those pieces together to finish strong in 2017. Uh, but in terms of their first two games going against the Carolina Blue and then the Columbia Blue, uh, it's going to be awfully tough. I see Hopkins. Uh, continuing to do what they did uh, or feeding off of what they did on Tuesday night. I think that we might even see even more uh, contributors to the game this weekend. Uh, but I'm sure you guys agree that uh, the Hopkins uh, UMBC tilt this weekend will probably end up being a little bit one-sided. Yeah. I, listen, you got to look at this game and, and uh, you know, uh, I think UMBC is going to struggle versus the five-headed monster of JHU's offense, Stanwick, Tinney, Dismuke, Crawley, and Frazier. I mean, what a beast of a shooter he is. Uh, you know, I think one thing that we didn't talk about when we were covering the Navy-JHU game, which I'm just going to touch on, and then I'll, I'll get Ty's, uh, you know, view on it, is the Gerald Logan, right? Eight goals allowed, That's right. eight saves. But the most important stat was 18 for 20 on the clears for JHU. Yep. And last year versus Navy and versus so many opponents, they just didn't get it done in the clearing game and gave their opponents too many second chance opportunities. And as a result, you know, uh, didn't have a great year by Hopkins standards, you know. And I, and I think that if Jerry Logan can continue – 
to get the stops that he's shooting the goal, which I think we're going to get out of him. But most importantly, continue to commander the clearing game. If they clear it 90% all year long, I don't think there's any doubt that this is a team that's going to be uh, right there playing on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's scary to think if you give their offense and those five guys the ball 90% of the time after you get a stop at the defensive end. So that's, that's my only piece on it. Yeah, no, I, I, think, think, uh, I think it, it's important to, to point out how strong that clearing game was. Um, I think their two missed clears were, were in the first half and they came together. Um, I, I would imagine there was a pretty strong emphasis on, on defensive stick work and, and just the overall organization of the clears. Um, and you don't want to take too much out of just one game. But I think the clearing um, and just the veteran presence of, of Logan and, and guys like Nick Fields uh, was was just huge, you know, for Hopkins. But um, you know, moving on to Saturday, I, I think uh, yeah, that's that's tough matchup for UMBC. Um, you know, but I think uh, I, w- what I've heard is they've had a, a, a phenomenal couple days of practice. Uh, the guys are are pretty pissed off after you know getting getting beaten down in Chapel Hill by the Tar Heels. Um, which I think many teams probably would um, to start the year. But, um, I mean, having some days of practice and, and also having the film of Hopkins um, to, to kind of help them uh, prepare um, is pretty huge. And, and Ryan Moran, it's, it's interesting. It makes sense when you look at it you know, backwards. But Ryan Moran has, has played Hopkins uh, every year since 1999. Um, you know, wow. so, so few people uh, know, know Hopkins uh, more than Rymo. And um, that staff must be working pretty hard to to get ready for that offense at Hopkins. But uh, yeah, I I don't see them having much of a chance uh, on Saturday. But I do think this is a team that uh, will, will maybe take their lumps in the early part. Um, but they'll have some matchups with with Richmond and and Marist and uh, and Mercer the next few weeks that will prepare them well for the American East. Uh, schedule, but I don't see it happening uh, on on Saturday, and, and uh, it's just and that that's a, a daunting task uh, to play a team like that where there's such just a massive disparity um, on the roster. Um, it, it's not like many kids that or, or any kids that are on at Hopkins were uh, also looking at UMBC. It's just not happening, you know. So it's just a yeah. different uh, playing field in a sense. So uh, the last segment of the show, we're going to talk about probably what I would consider, and I'm sure you guys would consider the game of the week. We unveiled the new Virginia Cavaliers against the season's Final Four uh, Loyola Greyhounds this weekend. Uh, They've been matching up at the beginning of the season for the last few years now, and they've all been great games. Um, I believe that it is a tied series between the two going into this. I might be wrong, or Loyola might have an edge there. Uh, however, it's been a great first game of the season for many of us. Uh, AT, talk to us a little bit about the upcoming UVA Loyola Tilt. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that this is absolutely uh, the game of the week. Um, you know, I'll go through. Virginia statistically, because that's what I do, but I'm not positive <laughs> that these statistics are uh, any indication on what we're going to see out of Virginia this year. You know, in 2016, they come off a very disappointing season by Virginia standards, but not by Dartmouth standards. Uh, they were 7-8 and eight <laughs> overall, 0-4 in the ACC, right? Their offense was throwing up a little over 10.5 goals a game on 27% shooting. They return attackman Ryan Lukovic, 20 goals, 16 assists. Zed Williams, who I think was playing midfield for them the majority of the year last year, 22 goals, 5 assists. A.J. Fish, 14 goals, 8 assists. Mike Demario, 16 goals, 4 assists. And top recruit in the country, Ryan Conrad, finishing his freshman year uh, with 9 goals and 3 assists. Um, You know, I think their offense is going to explode this year. Uh, Under new coach Lars Tiffany, uh, and, and his staff, I think this team goes from scoring 10 and a half a game to at least 12 a game. And that may be a conservative estimate. Uh, on 
defensive end, they've got a lot of the pieces in place here to have a very, very strong defense. Just a year ago, they let up a little over 10 goals a game, 10.33 a game. And they return lockdown stud Tanner Scales, 14 starts last year. Scott Hooper, uh, son of my boy Paul Hooper, who coached us at Brown, just simply put one of the best lacrosse minds in sport. Uh, Scott Hooper had 15 starts for them last year. Zach Ambrosino had nine starts. And they return arguably the best long stick committee in the country in Mike Howard. Um, Logan Greco also had seven starts. So they return a veteran group on the back line. Mars is definitely going to have those guys dialed in and playing as a uh, unified group, which is scary. I think an unanswered question is who are they going to be in the goal? Obviously, you know, they suspended Matt Barrett uh, or He's no longer with the program. I don't know the exact status, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, It appears as though Will Raley is going to end up starting in goal for them. Uh, He was a backup in 2016. From what I've heard through the grapevine is that he had a great fall and that he, you know, looks to be a possible strength of the team. Uh, Beyond that, face-off X, Jason Murphy did very, very well for these guys. 62%, one goal, one assist, probably off the break. If they can get 60%, or greater at the face-off X, that will help take some pressure off of their new goaltender. I think they're going to be able to, to hold some people down better than they have in the past few years or the last few years under Dom. And I don't doubt in my mind that their pace of play is going to have a massive uh, positive effect on the overall outcome offensively for them. So I see Virginia at a much, much, much improved. And even though they're driving up to play Loyola at Loyola, um, you know, I think this is going to be a close game. I don't know what Lax Vegas lines has for this line. It wouldn't surprise me to see Virginia go up there and, and shock Loyola and beat them. Um, but I think Loyola is going to win the game. I, I do. I just think that them coming off the momentum from last year, they have arguably the best player in the country in Pat Spencer, an unbelievable supporting cast as well. Um, but I, I think that uh, I think Virginia is going to be a brand new team. Uh, this is a game I think Loyola wins this weekend, but I'm not positive that this is a game Loyola wins in May if they end up seeing each other again. So it's going to be interesting to watch this game. I agree. I think this is the game of the week. Ty, how much do you, how much do you know about Loyola going into the 2017 season other than the fact that you, like many other people, probably did not have Patrick Spencer in their top list of recruiting <laughs> at that point well you know I'm, I'm naturally a very defensive person i'll defend myself there i you know i think spencer was was a uh a, a top 20 recruit on my list and uh you know i forget exactly where he was um but you know i i just didn't expect that impact i did not expect uh the the impact that he had uh, and i ranked number 14 heading to his freshman year um but i'm kind of curious you know and I, i'm sure he will but can he keep it up um, now that, that everyone has a full year of film on him, you know, I, I mean, he's very hard to stop. He's so dynamic and big and athletic, um, and lets the game come to him, but, um, how will teams game plan against him? And, and can, I think just as important, uh, can the pieces around him, uh, perform, um, up, up to par? I mean, what I've heard is that, uh, one of the starters on Loyola's, uh, Loyola's offense will be out a couple of games, um, for an off the field uh, issue, um, so you know, can they pick up the pieces and, and kind of get some depth and, and run with UVA because we know that the Wahoos will be pushing the rock um, and and playing fast, which is what they they did at Brown and and will continue to do so with at UVA. But uh, I'm on board with AT in that you know I I do I'm going back and forth. I, I do think Loyola wins this uh, by a goal or two now but but if this this was to to go down you know say in the final four in a, in a few months i think it's different i think uva will be coming along uh really well and just with with what they're doing to uh that that program with a shot in the arm and in that that coaching staff coming over um it, it'll it could take a little time but i think this is going to be uh a, a team that contends for final four spot right away um, and and they're raving about how strong Zed Williams has been on the attack end, and and how great it's been to, to have Lukovic run out of the box. And, and it sounds like they're they're keeping kids 
like like Will McNamara and Ryan Conrad and Doc Aiken on the field a ton uh, two ways. So I'm I'm really intrigued to see you know how that works on Saturday. You know I know I'll be at Ridley, which uh, I, I think is it's probably the best uh, student section in the country uh, and just a, a great venue for lacrosse. Um, and I'm sure a lot of lacrosse fans will be out there regardless of the weather. Um, but, but it should be a, a really competitive game. And, and I'm just kind of intrigued to see uh, how UVA does in the face-off next and, and in goal. Uh, Will really is a kid who I really enjoyed watching in high school. It's Georgetown Prep. I, I didn't love him at first when he committed. And then you saw him as a senior and, and just saw how much better he got. And just hard to get Turner down there, who, who's a, a goalie whisperer of sorts. It, it really sounds like he's getting better and better as the weeks go on. Uh, so I'm interested to see how, how he does uh, against, you know, uh, Pat Spencer, Romar Dennis, and Brian Sherlock on, on Saturday. But uh, it should be a hell of a game. I am, uh, I am fascinated, and I'm hoping uh, for Pat Spencer. I don't think there are many times that someone comes out as a freshman and consistently performs for four years like that. Um, you know, Rob Pinnell had a great freshman season, but wasn't the same as Patrick Spencer's. The only player that I think you can go back to having four seasons consistently uh, like Pat Spencer had his freshman year would be Mikey Powell. Um, and yes. I'm rooting for that. I'm rooting for him to be the next, say, Mikey Powell, obviously much different games. And, uh, you know, Mikey Powell will forever be in the top, arguably top well, definitely the top 10 collegiate players of all time. Uh, however, you know, I just, I worry about a sophomore season, right? I mean, they could call it the sophomore slump for a reason. Uh, but, you know, I think that with all the returning pieces, having Sherlock, a piece of that, um, you know, losing hair wire, hair wires, uh, is, is a, is a, is, is not going to be helpful to him in any man, in any manner, but, uh, certainly, most of the pieces are back together. Now, the biggest piece in my mind is Romar Dennis. Can he put his shots on cage? Finally, he's a senior. He literally is uncoverable. But the problem is, is over the course of his career, he has not put the ball on cage. And I think that that is the difference maker. As soon as Romar Dennis is able to put his shots on cage and be the impact we all know he can be, now, all of a sudden, Patrick Spencer, all the pressure is relieved after Patrick, Patrick Spencer, and he ends up having a great sophomore season. I actually do think, though, going into this weekend, the exact opposite of you guys. I think that Virginia is going to kill it this weekend. I have them winning by two or three goals. But I think that the way that Lars wants to run and uh, you know Sean Kerwin wants to run I think that it's going to wear out a team at the end of the season a little too early because you're just not prepared to play that way on a consistent basis for 18 state games. And I think that that's okay. It's year one for Lars, but I think a team like Loyola, whose seasons actually sees, you know, and paces themselves at a manner that gets them to the final four or, or late farther into the tournament than say a Virginia team does. And so that's where I see it. I think it's going to be a great year for Virginia. It's going to be very positive and a lot of buzz on campus and everyone's going to be happy. Uh, but I think this is as a first year program running the system that Lawrence wants to do will run its course a little earlier uh, than it should in 2017, only to set up for a great 2018 and beyond. But in terms of Loyola, I think they start out a little slower than people imagine. I think Virginia jumps out on top. And I think that Loyola, in the end, though, with the schedule that they have, they'll run through the Patriot League, and they'll be poised to make an impact late in the season with a very veteran crew uh, in the national tournament. So that's my thoughts. Um, That is all for the show. We went a little longer for today's show, but we had a great guest on. Ty, thank you so much, man, for coming on. It was awesome. Thanks, Ty. You're the man. Fellas, thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Bye, brother. So if you haven't already, check out RecruitingRundown.com. You can check out all of Ty's rankings from the 2016 freshman in college all the way to 2019 in high school. Uh, check it out. He does a lot of work. He does a lot of hard work. He'll also be traveling around the country. 
Uh, contact him for any commits, news, or any of the sort. In the meantime, In Your Face will be back tomorrow with another show. Uh, and until then, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at In Your Face Lacks. We will check you out tomorrow. Thanks a lot for the listen. I appreciate it.